Hello, PASS members. Welcome to the PASS Weekly Update Podcast. My name is Kim. I'm a community pharmacist working in Saskatoon, and I often find myself wishing that my emails would read themselves. Unfortunately, no one is planning to read my emails to me, but I am going to read your email to you. As you may or may not know, I do work full-time, and I record the podcast and edit it when I have time between pharmacisting and being a couch potato. So I'm actually recording this episode for you on Hump Day, which is uh, this time May 26th. It's a Wednesday, and I like to think of Wednesdays as Water Wednesday. So my self-care today is to hydrate. I find it's way too easy for me to fall into a pattern of drinking tea lattes or coffee, preferentially over all things at work. And I know that's true for a lot of you at work as well, because non-water pharmacy-approved beverages have perceived benefits such as being flavorful and possibly caffeinated. Anyways, picture this. I'm wearing a beer hat, the one with the cans on the side and the straws that squiggle all the way down to your mouth, except this thing is like a four liter jug of water that you would put in a water cooler and I'm balancing it on top of my head. And the straws are really long and they're zany and they're doing all kinds of patterns and loops like little roller coasters and uh, right into my mouth. And I'm gonna drink so much water and be so hydrated and take really good care of myself. Join me while I hydrate and read you the past weekly update from Friday, May 21st. Okay, I've got our email pulled up, and the first thing that I always like to read us are the updates from the past document entitled COVID-19 in Community Pharmacies. This document was last updated on Friday, May 21st, and the first update is with regard to who to contact in the event you need something. Uh, McKesson delivery issues, vaccine shipment, wallet card stickers, syringes, and ciliary supplies. You contact McKesson Customer Service, and it gives you a phone number for that first, and then you email the drug plan, and they give you the preferred email for that. Questions about the vaccine distribution tracking system, they have contact info below. Questions about the COVID-19 vaccine risk factor portal. They've got uh, help desk info here. Questions about vaccine eligibility sequencing for any unanswered questions about eligibility criteria and or acceptable forms of proof. You can email this number or call this number. Questions about professional regulation and authority for immunizers. You contact SCPP. And then it says email the drug plan only if you are unable to resolve the issues through the appropriate channels below and it will be appropriately triaged. That's the very last thing under who to contact and there's nothing below it. It just goes into information about training immunizers. So I think probably it's referring to all the stuff that was above it rather than the way it's written it says below. Anyways, if you need to contact somebody, refer to this document and find out who is the first person to ask. All right, we've got some information about the past webinars. New recorded webinar from May 17th. It is available and the slide deck presentation is also attached. So you can click here and get access to the recorded version of the webinar and the slide deck for that. There's also a separate document provided by SCPP regarding some information that they mentioned during the webinar. And there's also access to the first webinar from April 7th, but a lot of that info has probably changed by now, so you should watch webinar number two. There's some more information about patients who received their first COVID immunization outside of Saskatchewan. 
Individuals can now submit first or both doses of COVID vaccine administered out of the province for entry into Panorama through a form available on eHealth Sask website. Once it's entered into Panorama, it will be displayed in My Sask Health Record. The banner at the top of the eHealth Sask homepage provides links to the form and further instructions for individuals who receive their immunization out of province on how to have their vaccine information entered in Panorama. We've got some info on the COVID immunization fee for second doses. It says you follow the same procedure as you did with the first dose. If more than one injection is required for that product, there's a limit of two claims per HSN per 365 days for the immunization fees. So nothing changes, you just do the same process for billing. MedSask has updated the COVID-19 vaccine screening and consent form. It's largely the same. I do see there's a section here. Question one, have you received any previous COVID vaccine? Assessor, if yes, document on page two. Any side effects after the first dose, document them here. I think that's new, but I'm not 100% sure. I know I mentioned before it's hard to tell. You pretty much need a Pepsi Coke challenge of the old form versus the new form to see exactly what has changed. They definitely fleshed out the section where it asks about clotting disorders, but I think that they did that in a previous version of the form, so I don't know. Anyways, print off the new one and use that or use your own as long as it satisfies all of the necessary requirements. Ooh, this is good. It says, new, a solution is being developed to add the type of vaccine each pharmacy has on the interactive map and will be available the week of May 24th. Something for us to look forward to. Unless it's on there already. I guess it's Wednesday. I'll check it out. Yeah, it is on there. So I went to the interactive map and there's a filter now where you can select Moderna or Pfizer. I'm going to test it out. Cool. Yeah, it's working. So that's nice. Uh, my manager had a really good idea as well. She just posted it on the past members only Facebook page the other day where she was saying it would be super handy if they could link our booking website to this map as well to cut down on some of the calls we're getting. It's tough because everybody's had to come up with their own way of booking appointments so there's just so much variability at play but that's pretty cool. That should help organize things a little bit because at least the Moderna people won't call the Pfizer pharmacies and vice versa. We have some updated information about how vaccines will be distributed. Some of this info is the same, so I'll try to just pick out the stuff that has been updated. It says there may be delays in the shipping of vaccines from manufacturers into provinces or changes in the number of doses coming to the province, so pharmacists and all vaccine providers need to be able to adjust appointments on short notice. Not all pharmacies will receive vaccine on a weekly basis. The schedule for vaccine deliveries, it says it's coming Tuesday this week, which it did for us. And then starting next week, it's supposed to be Monday deliveries, 100% allocated going forward. Ongoing Monday delivery of weekly shipments with potential capacity to provide additional doses later in the week to pharmacies who are able to provide immunizations on weekends pending vaccine availability. Oh. Please note, Moderna vaccine shipment dates are still being assessed as part of this strategy. Oh, this is good too. It says, new, please advertise your pharmacy's vaccine type and associate age restrictions to the public as needed. Hey, hey, we got the green light for that. 
they've been kind of like talking about it, but now it very explicitly says, please advertise this. So maybe that will help cut down on some of the phone calls as well. New change to Pfizer storage stability. Health Canada authorized a submission from Pfizer-BioNTech to allow its COVID-19 vaccine to be stored at regular refrigerated temperatures at the point of use for up to one month. More info will be provided from Drug Plan on what this means for your pharmacy. New booking second-dose appointments must follow a 13-week interval and the age-based sequencing as per the second-dosing strategy. While the interval between first and second doses can be up to 16 weeks, Saskatchewan is starting second doses on an interval of 13 weeks or sooner based on the availability of vaccines distributed by the federal government. That's good to know. I actually miss that myself. Fortunately, we haven't done a lot of second doses, so I don't think I've managed to fudge that up, but uh, good to know. So must follow 13-week interval and age-based sequencing as per second strategy. New information about school-based administrative programs. School-based COVID vaccine delivery will begin in early June. The program will start with grade 12 students in descending age order over three weeks. Logistical discussions are happening now and all school-age students will be notified in the coming days of their clinic days. If a child is participating in the school-based immunization program, they must be at least 12 years of age at the time of the clinic and a signed consent form must accompany them to their appointment on the date of the clinic. Students age 13 and older can legally consent to their own immunization as they are considered to be mature minors. It is recommended parents discuss consent for immunization with their children and efforts will be made to obtain parental consent. Children over the age of 13 who demonstrate the ability to understand information regarding vaccine can legally consent to receive or refuse immunizations in SASC by providing mature minor consent to a healthcare provider. Eligibility is based on age and not grade. 11-year-olds are not eligible and will not be considered for this opportunity. Second doses will be provided to this population in July and August, so pharmacies will likely see demand from this group. See mature minor details in the document for more information to support this discussion. Oh, we've got more info on the second dose strategy. It's separated from the blurb we read a moment ago. It says, updated second dose strategy. As of May 20th, the following may receive second doses of COVID vaccine only. Anyone who is 85 or older or anyone who received the first dose before February 15th. Cancer patients and solid organ transplant recipients are eligible and will need to present a letter of confirmation from their physician. Patients starting or established on B-cell depletion monoclonal antibody therapy with a minimum interval of 28 days from their first vaccine. All other second doses must follow sequencing or 13-week interval between doses unless noted otherwise. Passes waiting for clarification on what the template or letterhead that the physician letters for second doses will look like. Note, no other health conditions are eligible for exceptions to receive second doses at this time. There are no other special populations that can receive second doses prior to 13 weeks after their first dose. Eligibility inquiries should be directed to covid19 at health.gov.sk.ca. It's an email address. There's some links to the Saskatchewan Second Dose Strategy document and a presentation dated May 6th about second doses. Notification of eligibility for second doses will occur through broad public communication, including public service announcements. 
government of SASC news releases, this website, social media posts, and additional channels as deemed necessary. I don't think this is new, but I don't remember reading it before, so I'm going to read it to you. It says, Moderna vaccine usage times. Moderna vaccine is stable 30 days refrigerated as per manufacturer storage requirements. However, the drug plan is asking for the vaccine to be administered as fast as possible, hence the recommendation that the allocation be administered within 7 to 10 days. There is no audit or penalty if it takes longer than 7 to 10 days. Oh, someone was literally asking about this like a day ago on the past members only Facebook page. So if I had uh, done my podcast sooner, I would have this work standard. And so I got ahead of myself, pre-filled syringes. As noted in the SASC Immunization Manual, Chapter 8, Section 1.3.1, Administration of Biological Products, pre-preparation of pre-filled syringes from a vial is discouraged because of the uncertainty of product stability in syringes, risk of contamination, and increased potential for administration errors and wastage. Dot, dot, dot. Pre-filled syringes in exceptional circumstances. COVID-19 vaccine may be transported in a pre-filled syringe in exceptional circumstances in examples such as homebound clients or congregate care residents who miss the immunization clinic. In such cases, the COVID-19 vaccine transportation in a pre-filled syringe in exceptional circumstances work standard must be followed. It is linked here. Oh, it's three pages. I think if you are planning to transport this, you should probably read it yourself, but I'm going to skim it and read you the highlights. I've skimmed through the first two pages of this document. This has caught my eye. It says, Procedure for Preparation. Moderna only. During booking, ensure the client who is intended to receive vaccine from the pre-filled syringe or their substitute decision maker is informed of the limited product spillity data for the transportation in a pre-filled syringe and consents to receive the vaccine. Note, Pfizer has provided internal data showing vaccine stability during transport in a pre-filled syringe for less than six hours. Suggested informed consent script. Due to challenging vaccine storage and handling requirements, the best way to transport the vaccine to your home is in a prepared syringe. It is important to understand that transporting the vaccine this way has not been studied and there is no data regarding the stability of the vaccine transported this way. Would you like to proceed with booking an appointment? Prepare the syringe as close to the appointment time as possible. Label the pre-filled syringe with vaccine brand name, lot number, date and time vial was punctured slash diluted. When transporting the syringe, wrap it in preconditioned bubble wrap, cardboard, or other material in a manner that would prevent downward pressure on the syringe plunger resulting in wastage. Follow the guidelines for thawed vaccine transport as outlined in the Transportation of COVID-19 Vaccine in Frozen and Thawed State Work Standard, including Transport vaccine in pre-filled syringe temperature between 2 to 8 degrees Celsius. As per the SASC immunization manual, it's not necessary to use a thermometer in insulated coolers being used to transport vaccine for a short duration. This principle may be applied when transporting pre-filled syringes within a community and a temperature monitoring device is not available. Cold chain excursions during transport do not need to be reported since the vaccine is stable more than 6 hours at room temp. (laughs) Implement special precautions to prevent excessive jostling of the vaccine, including conducting ground transport on paved or smoothed gravel or dirt roads. Very nice. Well, maybe I'll link this onto Facebook for that pharmacist who was asking specifically how to do this in case she hasn't had a chance to find the info yet.
All right, my good deed for today is done. I have shared this work standard on Facebook. I'm going back into the email here. You guys, I had a really good idea. I think because this is going to be probably time consuming and not relevant to everybody, maybe what I'll try to do is make a mini episode where I stumble through the process of getting involved with this rapid antigen testing stuff. And then you can live vicariously through me and hopefully through my uh, foibles. <laughs> my Hopefully through my successes and possible failures, um, we'll figure out how to do it together uh, without boring all of the pharmacists that are past members. So there's a lot to unpack with that one. I'm going to put a pin in it and come back to it at a later date. And uh, I'm just going to get back to our regularly scheduled programming we have now got through the past what we know document all of the things that were marked as being new updates for this uh, past weekly update email. It is still 13 pages. It's almost 14 pages, but not quite there yet. All right, I'm back in the past weekly update email. The next thing we're going to look at is the Sask Health Authority stakeholder update. There's an article here called Proceed with Caution, Think Twice Before Gathering, written by Dr. Kevin Wasco, Family Executive for Integrated Rural Health. Over a year into the COVID pandemic, we're all craving human interactions. We long to gather with family and friends. Holidays and celebrations carry special meanings for all of us and are important in order to feel connected to our community and social circles. As our case counts start to decrease, there is temptation to attend or host social gatherings. Perhaps you know that you've been following public health orders and you trust that your friends or family have been as well. However, over the course of the past year, we've seen time and again that large gatherings carry risk and are a major factor in community spread of COVID-19. This is how a super spreader event takes hold. This recently occurred in the Southwest where a single gathering has spread to dozens of people in numerous communities. Critical illness can be tracked back to that event. The impact is still being felt as COVID-19 continues to spread in the area. Fortunately, with warm weather upon us, we have the opportunity to get outside where it's easier to distance and where COVID is less likely to spread. It means we can also participate in activities such as hiking, cycling, and water sports in a distanced manner. Remaining active and maintaining social connection is important for our mental health and well-being. Please pursue these smarter options when gathering with others. Right now, our province is doing better, our immunization rates continue to climb, and our case numbers are dropping. However, that's not reason to let our guard down yet. We need more people fully immunized with two doses and community spread curtailed before we are able to gather like we used to. Hang in there. We will be out of the pandemic soon enough if we all do our part, wash our hands, wear a mask, get immunized, and be smart about gathering with friends and family. Stay safe. The next article is called Emergency Operations Commander Derek Miller Discusses Vaccine. It says Derek Miller, head of SASC Health Authority's Emergency Operations Center, discusses the plan for second doses of the COVID-19 vaccine and the rollout strategy in schools. There's a link that you click and it takes you to an audio recording. It's 34 minutes long, 17 seconds. I am not going to listen to that, but if you want to, this is where you find it. The next article is entitled, Clinics Encourage Vaccine Uptake with New Canadians. Navigating the seemingly endless narrative around COVID-19 vaccines is not an easy task. Now, imagine doing that as a new Canadian and English is not your first language. 
That is one of the barriers that some of Saskatoon's mobile COVID-19 vaccine clinics aim to address. One such clinic for newcomers was held at Saskatoon Global Gathering Place on May 16th in partnership with the Refugee Engagement and Community Health Clinic, REACH. Even without being a newcomer, there's a lot of information out here and it's ever-changing, said Dr. Sachin Takaya, Pandemic Area Chief of Staff for Saskatoon. Hesitancy within the newcomer community is not necessarily about people not wanting the vaccine, but more about access to vaccine. We have heard from some people that they just didn't know how to get the vaccine or how to navigate the system. About 220 individuals were immunized at the clinic on Sunday. This was the second clinic held at Global Gathering Place and one of many mobile clinics in Saskatoon targeted toward people who face challenges to access the vaccine. Bringing the opportunity to be immunized closer to them in a place that they are familiar with is only one piece of the puzzle. There is definitely a language barrier and sometimes a mistrust of Western medical systems, Takaya said. It has taken a lot of phone calls and a lot of interpretation from our partners to get people to come. Attendees at one of the clinics on Sunday also got an extra surprise thanks to the generosity of This Is Our Shot campaign. One of the patient family partners, Diane Martin, sent me information about the campaign, said Takaya. I randomly messaged Haley Wickenheiser, the campaign's co-founder, who I don't know, and she connected us with a donation of 100 shirts that we handed out to people sending Sunday's clinic. Nice! Through the campaign, the immunization team was also able to get vaccine FAQ documents in a number of languages which were provided to the clinic attendees. That is also awesome. These people that come to the clinic for vaccines obviously aren't overly hesitant, but I'm hoping that they take those messages back to their families, said Takaya. That's the hope that they can spread the message that vaccines are safe along with the positive vibes around getting the COVID shot back to their community members. That was heartwarming. They tricked me into reading you a a personal interest story, but it was a good one at least. (laughs) The last uh, article here, it says, Do the right thing, stay home when you have symptoms. I think that's pretty self-explanatory, so I shall not elaborate. Alright, I'm back in the past weekly update. The next link we have is called Ministry of Health, Pregnancy and mRNA Vaccines. An update from the Ministry of Health and Dr. Shahab on the administration of mRNA COVID-19 vaccine for pregnant individuals only, unless there are contraindications. It's a one-page document from the Ministry of Health, and it says, Dear Colleagues, Regarding mRNA COVID-19 vaccine for pregnant individuals, effective immediately, only mRNA COVID vaccines, Pfizer or Moderna, should be offered to pregnant individuals unless there are contraindications. Viral vector vaccines should only be offered if there are allergies to mRNA ingredients or mRNA vaccine is not readily available. This decision is based on updated recommendations from NACI, which indicate an mRNA vaccine is preferred for this population due to published safety data and concerns about increased complexity in medical care if vaccine-induced immune thrombotic thrombocytopenia were to occur following a viral vector vaccine. Updated COVID vaccine resources can be accessed on the COVID-19 Immunization Manual website, and then they link the website. Sincerely, Dr. Shahab. That seems intuitive. It is frustrating to get so much information back and forth on this whole blood clot thing with AstraZeneca, but I know everybody's doing their best. I'm back in the weekly update email. The next link is called Ministry of Health School-Based COVID-19 Vaccine Delivery to begin in June. 
This has brought me to a page on the Government of Sask website, and it is announcement about how the school-based COVID-19 vaccine delivery is going to look, so let me read that to you. The Sask Health Authority will begin administering COVID vaccines in elementary and high schools across the province in June. Delivery dates are currently being finalized with local education officials. Once states are confirmed, they will be communicated directly to parents through individual schools. Sask has been leading the country with one of the most aggressive vaccination programs, and now we are building further on that with the addition of a school-based vaccination program, Health Minister Paul Merriman said. The option of school vaccinations provides greater convenience for parents who want to see their children provided protection through vaccination. There will be more than 90,000 vaccines in total for individuals 12 of age and older. Children in this age group will only receive the Pfizer brand of vaccine. This is the last group currently approved for immunization with the hopes of expanding to younger populations in the fall as vaccines are nationally approved for their use. SHA drive through walk-in and booked appointments will be reduced during the school immunizations over the course of approximately three weeks to ensure this group is immunized prior to the end of the school year. Pharmacy booked appointments will continue to be available to all eligible age categories. Our public health teams are skilled and equipped to deliver immunizations within the school system, SHA's CEO Scott Livingstone said. We want to utilize this well-established system over the next three weeks before school is out for the summer to vaccinate as many eligible youth as we can and protect them and their families. Written consent will be required for all ages 12 to 17, primarily for tracking purposes in case the child receives one dose at school and one elsewhere. There will only be one consent form required for both doses. Parents are encouraged to talk directly with their children about consent and the importance of receiving their COVID vaccination. Information about Pfizer and frequently asked questions are available at, there's a link. Additional options are available for students who are homeschooled, for students who wish to access immunization sooner, or if parents wish to accompany their child to their appointment. These options include a participating pharmacy in Saskatchewan, a drive-through or walk-in clinic, or online booking for Sask Health Authority immunization clinics. I'm back in the past weekly update email. We're going to read something from the Ministry of Health. It's called Second Dose Eligibility Timeframes. I think this is all just information that we have seen before. It's got the daily COVID stats. It's got vaccines reported, so how many people there are in certain age groups and how many of them have been vaccinated already, how many are fully vaccinated, how many have received their first dose, and then it's got that chart eligibility for second dose of COVID vaccine where it's got the date eligibility will change, the eligible age, or eligible based on date of first dose on or before. So it's uh, three columns in the chart and uh, timeline for when the approximate second dose eligibility will be available to different populations in Sask. So I'm not going to read this whole thing. I feel like it's info that we are already familiar with. The next link in our past weekly update is from CPHA. It's called New Practice Tool, Administration of COVID-19 Vaccine in Special Populations. Hey, this is nice. So it's two pages. It's a chart from CPHA. And the first column says special population or comorbidity. For example, I see allergies, breastfeeding, cancer, dermatological conditions, immunosuppressed general, HIV, inflammatory bowel diseases, MS, pregnancy, or rheumatic diseases. And then in the second column, they have recommendations specific to the special population or comorbidity. And then they have the resources listed for where they got their information from. So let us choose one at will. Let's start with MS. 
So I've chosen MS, I scrolled to that section of the chart. It says patients with MS may receive the COVID vaccine unless otherwise contraindicated. For patients on immunosuppressive therapy, consultation with their healthcare provider is recommended for a risk-benefit analysis to aid in shared decision-making. Consult with their MS care team regarding timing of vaccination and administration of medications, particularly with cell-depleting therapies, i.e., Cladribine, alemtuzumab, or ocreluzumab. The start of some medications may need to be delayed by four weeks post-vaccine administration. Since response to the vaccine may be attenuated, stress the importance of continued adherence to public health measures for prevention of COVID-19. Follow general recommendations for immunosuppressed patients. See immunosuppressed general. Let's see immunosuppressed general. I scrolled up there. It says patients who are immunosuppressed due to medication or treatments, including those with autoimmune conditions, require consultation with their healthcare provider for a risk-benefit analysis to aid in shared decision-making. Since response to the vaccine may be attenuated, stress the importance of following public health measures. See also recommendations from medical association representing the specific condition in question. Okay. Anyways, that's a nice chart. If you have a special population and you are not 100% sure what the best recommendations are for if they receive a vaccine in a pharmacy, if it should be done in a specialist setting, what brand it should be, that kind of stuff, this could be a good place for us to refer to. Special thank you to Kim who donates her time to record the podcast. That makes me feel good. Thanks, Michelle. I hope people are listening to the podcast. All right, uh, carrying on. So there's a note here. It says, when renewing your past membership in malpractice insurance, unless your workplace has changed from last year, you do not need to fill in a new insurance form. Click next and move on to the next page. As well, we've got an update on that fax outage. It says that the fax outage at DPEBB was fixed as of May 20th. So you can fax the EDS line and the claims fax line as per the usual process. I'm looking at our past weekly update and now we're down to the heading that says in the news and there are quite a few new news articles linked to the email. I think I will open the articles and I'll try to summarize them so that you can get the contents of the story without having me read it to you word for word. I'm on the CBC website. This article is entitled The Do's and Don'ts of Getting Your COVID-19 Shot at a Sask Pharmacy and it's written by Guy Kenneville from May 21st, 2021. It sounds like they were talking to past CEO Don Martin and they asked her for some hot tips about the do's and don'ts and she gave them some key messages. It says, don't just walk in, call ahead. And in this section of the article, something caught my eye. It says, Scott Livingstone, the CEO of the SHA, said Thursday that links to the pharmacy's online booking systems will be added to that database. And he's referencing that interactive map of pharmacies on the Government of Sask website where you can search by postal code or city or whatever and filter by vaccine type. So that is awesome. That will be a big help. The next tip here, it says don't call the pharmacy until your age bracket is eligible. Do cancel your appointment if you get your shot somewhere else first. Don't expect a centralized pharmacy booking system in Saskatchewan, unfortunately. Basically, what they say is like, yeah, in an ideal world, that would have been super helpful, but we feel like it's too late now, and there's just so much going on that it's it's not going to happen, so let that dream go. And then it says, do be patient, your time will come. So good article. I like it. I hope that the public is reading it and that they learn from it. The next article is on 
650CKOM website, and it's written by Brady Lang on May 20th. It says, Pharmacies ready to take advantage of new vaccine storage rules. I've read the article. Basically, it is talking about how Health Canada announced that Pfizer can be stored at typical refrigeration temperatures for longer, and then we would possibly have 30 days to use it instead of just five days from when it is removed from frozen state. Basically, the article is just saying that that should hopefully make it easier for pharmacies to administer vaccines. As well, it does mention that a lot of the responsibility for taking care of people's second doses will be falling into the lap of pharmacies because that's how the timeline is going. The next article is on the Global News website and it's called COVID-19 Rural Sask Pharmacies Stressed Strained Amid Vaccine Administration. This was posted May 20th and written by Allison Bamford. I've read the article. It sounds like this reporter interviewed pharmacists from Midway Pharmacy in Davidson. That is Janelle Shuchuk and Julie Nikiforik. They just asked them basically like what's it like and they told them about a day in the life of a pharmacy that is trying to do all of its regular tasks with the added burden of COVID-19 vaccinations, fielding the phone calls, dealing with the paperwork, all that kind of stuff. Basically we're all living the same life so I don't need to elaborate but I liked this quote. It says, we laugh a lot, Nikki Forrick said. If we didn't laugh, we'd cry. <laughs> Ah, that's so relatable. It does have like a nice little uh, silver lining at the bottom here where it says, as challenging as the entire process has been, it's been equally rewarding. We've had people almost in tears because they've been so glad they can get their vaccine. Yeah, I agree. That part is rewarding and that is what keeps us there late and on weekends and evenings when we would otherwise be home watching Netflix and petting our dogs. I'm back in the past weekly update. There's another news article that I'll click on here. This next article is on the CTV News website, written by Janelle Blakely and posted May 20th. And it's called, They Are More Than Numbers, Advocates Working to Prevent Overdoses as Deaths Rise. Okay, I have read through the article and picked out a few key points. Here it says there have been 608 suspected overdoses where 911 has been called this year according to police data, though not all overdoses are reported to police. There's a few sections of this article that I think are like super important. It says, though personal naloxone kits are only available for free at a few pharmacies in the city under the provincially funded program, most stock the kits to sell to the general public for $40 to $50. According to Myla Bullock, Director of Professional Practice at PASS, that fee can be an access barrier. That's quite a bit. Of course, the publicly funded ones are completely free, but we just haven't seen the program expand as fast as we would like. According to PASS, only about 15 of the province's 418 pharmacies have been included in the program. Bullock said the association has been in discussion with the ministry for about a year and a half in an effort to get free kits in pharmacies. Pharmacy has been ready, willing, and able to offer naloxone kits broadly to the patients of Saskatchewan for a while now. I know the demand is there, and we hope the government will expand this program as soon as possible across the province. Yes! Give it to us! So frustrating, like honestly, because I want to be a publicly funded take-home naloxone kit site and I just don't fully understand why when there are pharmacies literally begging to be distributors of publicly funded take-home naloxone kits, why the Ministry of Health doesn't give us the kits. The article goes on to say that there is a new supervised 
consumption site in Regina. And um, forgive me, I probably will pronounce these words wrong because I don't know what the correct inflection is. I believe it is called the Niwo Yotina Friendship Center in Regina. And it's going to be a supervised, safe, clean environment with staff and an on-site paramedic that can help in the event of an overdose. It is Regina's first overdose prevention site. And this article says the uh, Niwa Yotina Friendship Center is in the final stages of preparation before opening. They are set to announce an opening date on Tuesday. And because I'm recording this on the 26th and the email came out on the 21st, I know that they're open, so that's good. I'm going back into our past weekly update email. This article is from the Regina Leader Post, written by Lynn Giesbricht. And the date is May 19th, 2021. The title, Pharmacies Taking on Growing Number of Vaccine Appointments from SHA. I've read the article. It's talking about how Sask Health Authority is planning to ramp down their vaccine clinic sites, the number of appointments that they're doing and the hours of operation and stuff, and transitioning the workload onto the pharmacies so that we can kind of carry the torch with the COVID-19 vaccines. It also talked about how SHA is planning to focus their resources on the school-based program to get all the kids their first dose of vaccines. And then loosely related but somewhat disjointed, the article talked about rules surrounding graduation ceremonies and how they're wanting to get a bunch of students immunized beforehand so that they can have some kind of celebration. We're in the last section of our past weekly update entitled webinars and education and we've got reference again to the COVID immunization program joint webinar from May 17th as well as the slide deck from that webinar they are available here and then there is a link that talks about the details of record keeping requirements from SCPP in summary they say keep everything for seven years for your immunization activities. There is another link called the community pharmacy as a health hub. It's a webinar. So this is from Canadian Pharmacists Association. It's going to be taking place May 27th and it says 1 to 2.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Usually CPHA will record these things so hopefully they do because it sounds good. And the blurb it says community pharmacies are uniquely positioned to function as health hubs, entry points for patients who need advice, advocacy, assessments, and triaging. This is more important than ever in rural communities where the local community pharmacist might be the only healthcare provider available. Join us to hear pharmacists from across Canada share their innovative practice models that combine education, advice, and health system navigation into patient care. There's a button you can click to register. So I have done that. With that, we have made it to the end of our past weekly update from May 21st, 2021. And I will talk to you very soon because it's already Wednesday. So we're going to get a new one in two days time. I hope you're hydrated. I've been talking so much, but I did manage to guzzle at least half a liter of water. <laughs>